Good morning. Scripture today is from John, chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because the servant does not know what the master is doing, and I have told you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. Lord, we live in a world of enemies, a world of polarized politics, distrust, and suspicion. It is into this world that you have sent us your son, Jesus, and proclaimed us as his friends. Through the power of your word, Draw us closer as his friend, that we may befriend each other and the world you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in elementary school, a friend whose dad was a local newscaster in Calgary. They lived in the fancy part of our neighborhood on the lake. They had a big house and they had a projector screen to watch movies on when our TV at home was only 21 inches. Could you remember those days? Oh my goodness. Whoa. The thing that impressed me the most about them, though, was, that, was the fact that my friend's parents were friends with legendary Calgary Flames hockey great Lanny McDonald. If you don't know who Lanny is, you can look it up quite easily. This may not seem like a big deal to you, but for a hockey-obsessed kid my age in early 90s Calgary, this guy was larger than life. Just how wealthy and impressive did you have to be, I thought, to be this guy's friend? A height that I'd never reach. He was just too famous, too talented, too cool. People like him, I thought, just aren't friends with people like me. Now, my sense of relative fame and importance back then was obviously a little bit off. The likelihood of friendship with a local hockey player wasn't quite that impossible, especially in the early 90s when salaries weren't quite so high. But I had a point. Certain people are in a class, a league, a category out of the reach of relationships with the great swath of humanity. No one here is going to go to a Toronto Blue Jays game with Justin Trudeau. 
There's no craft beers with Beyonce or chili dogs at the NASCAR rally with Bill Gates, unless it's some passing parade or carefully choreographed media event. We may be able to get a job cleaning one of their many houses, but that's pretty much it. That's as close as it, as it gets. They have more important things to do and more influential people to see than us, let alone be our friends. It's just the nature of things when it comes to influential and powerful people. It's the nature of things, but there is an exception, and that exception happens to be the most famous, most influential, most powerful, depending on your definition of power, human being in all of history, and that person, of course, I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. I do not call you servants any longer, Jesus says. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. I've called you friends because I have made everything known to you that I have heard from my Father. Not servants, but friends. Now, as a culture, we've been stewing in Christianity for so long that this doesn't really get our spiritual spidey senses tingling. The idea that a powerful person shouldn't discriminate against a weak person is just a given for us. But in John's gospel, it is a big deal, a huge deal. In fact, because Jesus isn't just an influential dude, he's God in the flesh the creator of the universe touching down the center and source of all things embodied in importance influence power and status god is at least a tier above joe biden or oprah winfrey or jeff bezos and at least two tiers above lanny mcdonald depending on who you talk to at which point in their life i guess but who are God's friends? Who are God's friends? Jesus doesn't start with the religious authorities. Sorry, Ingrid, you and, you and I are out. Or the Roman governor or the king. Not even priests and ministers. He bypasses them all. And who does he befriend but 12 plus ordinary nothings, nobodies without a single dollar to their name or a drop of political influence. And this is especially crazy because in Jesus' time, and indeed most throughout most of history, the divine didn't really do this sort of thing. The god or gods would be intimate with kings or high religious officials, not as friends even, but as servants. Gods at the top of the pyramid, then nobles, and then all the rest of us at the bottom. But Jesus goes to working people. Jesus goes to women. Jesus goes to soldiers, to tax collectors, and sinners of all kinds. It's like Lanny McDonald giving my family and I box seats and insisting on coming over for dinner every Sunday. It's like the Pope leaving the Vatican to play cards with some dingy old guys in the slums of Rome. It's like Xi Jinping sitting down to watch Netflix and share a pizza with a family of Uyghurs. Jesus has got friends in low places. 
Yeah, you know it. You know that one. Not people just to do his bidding, but to share in the very life of God. Not slaves, not servants, but friends. And maybe the most astounding thing is that they don't even do anything to earn his friendship. I mean, you might assume that these people were drawn to Jesus, which they were. That they sought him out, that they worked their way up. A rags-to-riches story where someone's cunning or hard work or moxie caught the eye of local religious talent scouts. But really, among his disciples, Jesus betrayed him. And all the rest ran away when the hammer came down. The people who we usually think as close to God are usually holy or mystical or kind, courageous people. But no, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus chooses his friends based not on whether they come looking for him, but he goes looking for them. He chooses his friends not based on their merit or their holiness, but on his own. What does he choose his friends based on then? Why? Love, of course. Jesus chooses his friends based on love, but not just any kind of love. Hallmark type love. I've said this in like half a dozen sermons, so tune out now if you want to. But when the Bible talks about love, that arena rock classic by Boston always comes to mind. It's more than a feeling. More than a feeling. This is my commandment, Jesus says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love that Jesus is talking about is self-giving, sacrificial love. This is why you'll see this scripture passage on memorials for soldiers across the English-speaking World, because Jesus isn't just talking about the willingness to go for a beer on occasion or barbecues in the backyard or Facebook friendship. The kind of friendship he's talking about is absolute loyalty to another person. Absolute loyalty to the point of death and beyond. Love through thick and thin. Nothing the friend does can negate it. This is radical stuff that we just don't get because our culture has been so influenced by Christianity and texts like this one, but this is what the love that is at the heart of all things is like. Even if we're not important at all, specks on the big boot of history, even if we are spiritually unimpressive and morally compromised, these are the people who Jesus calls his friends. We are the people who Jesus calls his friends, the one who he's loyal to, ones who he's loyal to, to the point of death, even death on a cross.
which, if we truly get it, is good news for each of us. I mean, in a world where importance and worth are measured by who we know and who our friends are, by influence on the internet and throughout the world, a world where our worthiness is measured by what we can do or what we can accomplish, a world where the value of human life is on a sliding scale. In a world like ours, I guess you could say that Jesus shows us that the creator of the universe has incredibly low standards for friends. We may not be buddy material for the world's best and brightest. We may not be productive or attractive. We may be liars Cheaters, betrayers, people looking out for nobody else but ourselves. And yet the creator of the universe has called us his friends, dying to save us. No precondition other than his prior love and loyalty. No reason other than grace. That unmerited, unconditional love. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, says the Apostle Paul. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To put it another way, we've been made the friends of God in spite of ourselves. To channel my inner evangelical, even when all our other friends despise and forsake us, even when we're tempted to despair, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. Of course, one thing about friendships is that there is always a catch, right? Of course, though, there's really isn't anything we could do for God. Kind of like Lanny McDonald with the box seats. There was, there's nothing that I could do to repay him. I don't have box seats to give him. And he's already got box seats. God is God and doesn't need us to be God. We don't add anything to God's nature. Jesus does say, though, that he chooses us that we may bear fruit that we may bear fruit. There's that agricultural metaphor again. This friendship has a product in our lives. It has produce, you could say. And that product is loving like Jesus loves. You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command you. Not love in general, you know, but the very specific call to love one another. We show our friendship to God by letting God's love work in through us, in and through us, in befriending and loving God's friends, even those who we consider our enemies. Not just love humanity in general, 
I mean, have you ever heard that phrase? Um, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. Has that, you ever heard that before? But it's to love one, it's to love another human being with that same sacrificial self-love that is given to us in Christ. The way to respond to love is to love in return. The way to return God's grace is to deliver that grace to somebody else in the same way. Somebody who didn't earn it. Somebody who didn't deserve it. Somebody who can't do something for us or pay us back. Not a single act of charity or random act of kindness or a soup or a sandwich, even though these are important things. But to befriend them, to lay down our lives for them in the same way we've been befriended by our Lord. And that is where he promises to bear fruit in our lives. Which brings me finally to the importance of church. Don't get me wrong, first of all, don't get me wrong. Jesus elsewhere tells us to love our neighbors in the same way, to love the world in the same way. God is making friends all over the place outside the official authorized boundaries of religion. So don't get me wrong. But the church, it is an absolutely dependable place to learn how to be a friend of God by truly befriending other people. And I mean, I've said this other one before, a bunch, but the great theologian Stanley Hauerwas says that the church is where you learn to love people who you wouldn't even necessarily like. Church is where you learn to love people who you wouldn't even necessarily like. Church is where you learn to love people you never expected to love in the first place. And I testify to you that this is absolutely true. Nowhere else in my life have I seen and experienced this kind of love. Maybe I just don't get out enough. I don't know. (laughs) But it's the church where I've seen sick people cared for by virtual strangers. People taking time to pray for troubled kids. Someone giving somebody else big money to cover the bills. Giving a place to stay when they're just about on the street. Giving somebody a place to stay when they were on the street. Holding a hand at the bedside of somebody who's dying. Putting up with us when we're somebody who's hard to put up with in the beginning and insisting on loving us anyway. Somebody's even cleaning somebody's bathroom. And that's what I call friendship. That's what I call friendship. And these are, I didn't just make these up, these are all things that I have seen in this church. Not just church in general, but in this church. And you know, the beauty of the church is that it's not race or gender or politics or culture or social class or even moral goodness that brings us together. 
the only thing that brings us together is love. The love of Christ. The only real reason we're together is that we've discovered that in Christ we've somehow been befriended by the creator of the universe in spite of our own limitations and foibles. Where to the rest of the world we might be a write-off, an inessential service. Here we're infinitely precious and worthy of love and affection because of the one who first loved us. And somehow through it all, God uses this, these relationships, slow-moving friendships to make us more loving and more like himself. I know what Jesus says here is true because the fruit's right in front of my face all the time. Even when we can't be face-to-face. I gotta say, it's easier to be somebody's friend when you can see them face-to-face, but... God will still be God. So, my friends, my friends, know this, through no merit of your own, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been made forever friends with the source of all that is. This friend will never forsake you or leave you having gone to hell and back again for your sake. And the only thing you got to do in response is to love the other people he's called his friends in the same way. There are plenty of places to start, but the easiest, most reliable one be the least expected. The company of saintly sinners called the church, the body of Christ. So may we, may you learn to love one another the way Christ has loved you. And in doing so, may your life bear fruit. May you experience that bountiful harvest that bumper crop we call grace. For you, for me, for the whole world. Because what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen.